Hello and welcome to episode two of the Fire, Pain, and Ruin episodic audiobook. This week we are looking at chapters three and four. Last week was the very first one, so if you missed that, go back and watch it because we are covering two chapters per episode, mostly because the chapters are shorter than what we had seen in the Seed Me series just at the end of 2020. Now, to get uh, everyone on the same page, because it was a week ago, uh, basically what happened in the first episode was chapters one and two, we were introduced to Spalding Savage and Rutherford Manor. We met the midwives, um, Rowan is a primary character there, and then we also met Billy. Uh, we met Penny, who is Spalding's wife, and Spalding uh, was getting cold feet about his uh, about the birthing of his child, which turned out to be twins, twin girls, in fact, where he was kind of hoping for a son, but he, he let that shrug off. And uh, we also learned about Billy's nervousness of getting married. They reflected on their past, how life used to be way more simple when they were young, and body snatching, which is basically the whole story of the white hand. But uh, they're grown up now, and they are in a new era of Rutherford Manor. So that's where we left off. And now we're going to continue the story. So let's jump into it with uh, the next chapter. Chapter 3 A Flesher's Way Life and death are on such a delicate balance. One might wonder if they will live to see tomorrow for a lot can occur in one day. We find ourselves living, surviving, hoping that fate won't play a cruel joke on us. Cheating death is rare. Immortality is something that mystics and crazies talk about. Even the intellectual ones are obsessed with learning the scientific boundaries of life after death. Mystics like to believe that there's a soul. They are certain that there is something more than flesh and bone. In the practical world, that is all we are. We return to the dirt and rot. Then, the next cycle of life begins. Knox was a practical man. Others were not so convinced about the simplicity of reality. It made them uncomfortable. Not Knox. He gained an odd sense of reassurance knowing that everything would come to an end, and that would be it. There were no ghosts, no afterlife, Heaven or hell. Nothing. Bliss. His hand gently gripped a surgical steel knife, gliding it along the skin of a pasty man strapped to an operating table. He watched as the blade moved along the flesh, puncturing the skin when he pressed too hard. That delicate balance. With too much pressure, the man's blood would spew out. Blood, bones, and flesh. The true components of being alive. The heart stops, the mind would follow, and then everything else. That was it. What made an organ fail? What made one succeed? What role did they play in making us human? Knox couldn't stop thinking about what made people tick inside. The man in front of him panted heavily, sweat dripping down his cold form. He helplessly watched as Knox glided the knife down his torso. He tried to shout, but his rag-stuffed mouth made it impossible for him to make much more than a muffled cry. He's no different than me, Knox thought as the blade came to a stop at the man's gut. 
The skin had been stretched open, organs half-piled out onto the steel table. The meat. Inside each person were the exact same pieces that made humans human. The raw materials that he could physically touch right in front of him. Fascinating. The man groaned, clenching his teeth as the blade poked into his skin. Not enough of the solution, Knox thought. He placed his surgical blade on the small tray beside the operating table, exchanging it for a syringe filled with a custom-made liquid that he had perfected. It was the exact liquid that his father, Alistair, had used many years ago, and it was the same formula that he had used to avenge his father's death. The white hand. Those damned mobsters. Knox would have nothing to do with them. Now that he was older and able to call the shots, he did not need to be bent by gangsters. Knox found his own way to survive and provide for Rutherford Manor, something that his father had been incapable of doing. Alistair was a businessman, but Knox was not. He could learn, though. However, he would always be a man of science. He was transfixed on pushing the boundaries of our understanding. Business was secondary. Knox brought the syringe over to the visible vein and punctured it through the man's skin, injecting the solution into his body. You will not feel a thing, I promise, Knox slurred, staring into the man's horrified eyes. This will transcend you from all pain. Father, if only he could see what the syringe has turned into now. Knox thought, as the last bit of liquid entered the man's body. He would give anything to see the pride on his father's face, witnessing what Knox had become. It was difficult for Knox to truly know if he was doing justice to the flesher name. He could only hope. Alistair was a man of morals. He kept his family safe and provided for them no matter what. Knox was doing the exact same thing. His business partner... Spaulding couldn't quite understand that. Spaulding had a strange obsession with leading a simple life that had never existed in the first place. They'd find common ground again. Knox had no doubts. Knox placed the syringe back on the table and took the surgical knife, watching as the man's rapid breathing calmed down. The solution was working. Soon, the man would feel nothing. Knox paused for a moment. The sight of the man's open guts brought a sense of deja vu. He recalled the day that he successfully got the solution to work on a pigeon when he was just a boy. His father had walked into the room and was astonished at what he managed to create. The pigeon was fully alive, with its organs on the outside. Knox's solution had suppressed the nervous system that caused shock and pain. Because of that, the invention had high value. Father would do anything for us so we would live. Knox thought, while fixating on the man's flesh. Anything. He leaned forward, pointing the blade at some of the loose skin around the open guts. He carefully brought the blade to the edge of the skin and sliced the flesh. The man didn't flinch. Success. Knox continued to carve until he was able to pull a small strip of muscle and skin from just below the man's ribcage. 
Nox plucked the flesh from the blade and brought it to his mask-covered face, staring at it through his goggles. He couldn't quite smell the flesh through the metal mask he wore. It helped protect him from the fumes. His lovely wife, Lilith, had been kind enough to craft it for him. The last thing she needed, or the fleshers for that matter, was for Nox to intoxicate himself through deadly fumes in the process of developing the solution. Just because the solution worked didn't mean that the creation process was risk-free. We all look the same, Nox thought while playing with the flesh in his hands. Father made the sacrifice so I didn't have to. Nox stopped fiddling with the man's flesh. His father had been so bold. He was willing to give his family the best life. Alistair had taken on trials that no normal man could have even dreamed of doing in their worst nightmares. The discipline and stamina that Alistair had continually exhibited amazed Nox. It intimidated him. The rite of passage, Nox thought as he brought the flesh closer to his mouth, lifting his mask in the process. I must do anything to help my family. Nox, came a stern, monotone voice. Nox cleared his throat and brought the mask back down. He sniffled a couple more times and chucked the meat onto the tray. What? Nox asked, irritated. He recognized the voice of Billy. He shouldn't have interrupted him. Billy stood in the hallway with a man in the shadows. Your meeting, Billy said. Thank you, Billy. Your work is always appreciated, Nox said lifting his mask off and placing the surgical blade on the tray. His half-scarred face stared back at him in the blurred reflection. Every time he took the mask off, it was a small reminder about the accident that had forever changed him. Billy nodded and turned to walk away, moving past the man in the dark. Knox hung his mask on the coat hanger right at the edge of the room leading to the hall. He took off his gloves and extended his hand toward the shadowy man. The man extended an abnormally pale hand. It was whiter than the flesh of the man on Knox's table. The sight of the government man was always off-putting. His skin color, his mannerisms, his choice of time, strange. Just when Knox had thought he'd seen everything, the world introduced him to Mr. Sewell. Mr. Sewell. Nox said while shaking the man's dry, cold hand. The man stepped forward, gripping Nox's hand tightly, giving him a firm handshake. He came into the light, his orange eyes staring right into Nox's, not blinking. Mr. Flesher, the man said in a croaky voice, it is a pleasure to see you again. Nox wanted to release his hand, but Mr. Sewell did not let go keeping the shake going for a few seconds too long. The act was so fitting for the man's character. Likewise, I trust that the previous chemical compounds were of use? Knox asked, still stuck in the man's grip. Mr. Sewell let Knox's hand go and nodded. Tell me, what is the specimen on your table? Nox locked eyes with the specimen. A trial run. I wanted to have a demonstration for our meeting. 
Our contract is over. We don't need to be flattered by your abilities, Mr. Flesher. We know exactly what you're capable of. Mr. Sewell took off his hat as he walked into the room, the gentle lantern shining against his slicked back hair. You have dinner with your family? He asked, approaching the table. Of course, Knox said, joining him at his side. Eating is healthy, the man said with a smirk, eyeing the tray. My, my, look at what you have done. Mr. Sewell took his hand and ran it along the exposed guts, feeling the intestines. Is this from your famous syringe that you won't sell us? Yes, Knox said. That is what we're here to negotiate, is it not? Indeed, Mr. Flesher. Mr. Sewell reached into his blazer's inner pocket and pulled out an enclosed envelope. He handed it to Knox. It is everything we discussed in the letter. Knox took the envelope and opened it up, unfolding its contents. There were several pieces of paper. This was the contract the government wanted to renew. Your solution interests us, Mr. Sewell said while walking around the operating table, hands behind his back. The last compound you gave us was intriguing. I know you're just cock-teasing. You're capable of so much more. Knox quickly skimmed the contract as he listened to Mr. Sewell. He read right to the last page. The contract was everything he had hoped for. Funding, protection, and an open-ended deadline. He would be able to continue his experimentations. He'd be able to provide for Lilith and his sister Vivian and the rest of the Rutherford Manor family. You don't need to look over the details. Mr. Sewell said while stopping on the opposite side of the operating table. You know it's just formality. The higher-ups like a paper trail, even if it is vague. To be honest, I would rather just get the show on the road and do the work. I feel you are of the same. You know we'll need more specimens, Knox said. He had to remain stern. Mr. Sewell liked to trivialize everything. He was also a man of the government. His interests were theirs, not Knox's. Knox oversaw the family's safety. He had to make sure every base was covered. Mr. Sewell extended his hand. Of course, you seem to be doing just fine obtaining your own bodies. Has something changed? No, what I mean is if we attract attention, I want it to go away. No no questions, Knox said. Yes, Mr. Flesher. As we did previously, you are shielded and watched by us. Mr. Sewell took the surgical knife and examined the remnants of blood on the table. You're one of a kind, Mr. Flesher. He placed the blade back down on the table and walked around to face Knox, only a few paces away. We want the solution. We want you to take it to the unthinkable, free from death. He reached into his interior pocket and pulled out a pen. Knox took the pen and signed the contract, balancing the papers on his forearm. He handed the paper and pen back to Mr. Sewell. Excellent, Mr. Sewell said while extending his other hand. 
I look forward to working with you again, Mr. Flesher. Your work is astonishing. Your father must have been proud. He was, Knox said while extending his hand. The two shook on it with a firm grip. Sewell did not take his orange eyes off Knox, hand shaking up and down, tick-tock, an abnormal length of time. The normal for Mr. Sewell. Abnormal, as was the flesher's way. Chapter 4 Unnaturally Normal See you girls when I get home, was a statement that seemed welcoming, yet abnormal. It was only a few days since the birth of his twin girls and Spaulding had found himself a new morning ritual. Saying goodbye to his wife with a kiss, followed by a gentle kiss on the forehead for twin number one, Lisa, and twin number two, Louise. Strong names. Spaulding and Penny were in congruence with giving each girl a complimentary name to the other. They were born together. They would experience this world together. Spaulding could only hypothesize what it must be like to experience the world for the first time. Every new smell was unknown. Every new taste was obscure. Their senses must be in overdrive, taking in everything that the world has to offer and putting all their trust in Spaulding and Penny, the natural course of life. As he did every morning, Spaulding took a horse into the town of Rowley to open the butcher shop. He thought about his little girls. He wondered what their first word would be or when they'd learn to talk. The joys of being a father. Penny was looking better too. She was more active, which lightened Spaulding's concerns about the strange occurrences during their birth. Maybe it was all just a fluke. Spaulding's horse trotted into the town of Rowley, stomping on the cool spring gravel. The snow had mostly melted, leaving everything damp and chilly. He was glad that the summer was around the corner for his girls to experience. Winters were harsh in Illinois. The horse reached the town of Rowley, where people were getting ready to start the day. The normal life. The one that Spaulding fought so vigorously to obtain during his youth. This was it. Men and women going about their routines, making an honest living to put food on their family's table. Spaulding was one of them. Sort of. As long as he looked the other way when Knox and Billy were up to their shady government work. Spaulding stationed his horse in the small stable at the back of the butcher shop. He tied the animal, removed the saddle, and entered the shop from the rear. With a turn of the key, he went inside the building, hung up his top hat and coat, and flipped the window sign around so the word open faced the street. Stability was the one word that entered Spaulding's mind. He tied his apron on and began to bring out some of the meats from the ground storage. The days were always slow to start and picked up in the afternoon. The bell to the front door caught his attention, his first customer of the morning. That didn't take long, he reflected. Spaulding looked up over the counter as he was organizing his tools to see a mustached man clad in a vest and white shirt. Spaulding knew the man. Then again, this was Rowley. It didn't take long to know every face. Jacob, Spaulding said with a smile. How do you do, friend? Jacob reached his hand out and shook Spaulding's. Wonderful. I trust that the butcher shop is treating you well? 
Always. Thank you again, Spaulding said while reaching into his apron and pulling out a box of cigarettes and a match. Want one? No need to thank me, Jacob said while reaching for one of the cigarettes. Between you and me, it is difficult to sell land in Rowley. This town isn't getting the boom like the rest of Illinois. You making enough of a living? Spaulding asked, lighting the match and bringing the flame to his cigarette and then Jacob's. Yes, sir. We're getting by. Just like everyone in Rowley. You? Jacob asked, puffing on his smoke. Yeah, we're surviving. With me operating the front for the Flesher's shady business, he thought, taking a big inhale of the cigarette. I do appreciate you checking in on how the business is doing. Of course. I always take care of my customers. Jacob glanced back to see if anyone else was in the store and then leaned against the counter. Fight club tonight? He asked. Fight club. Spaulding's only form of meditation. The thrill of the ring, face to face with another man. No games, no bullshit. The taboo event was always liberating for him. Yeah, Spaulding said, but I can't stay too late. What? Is your wife finally putting a leash on you? Jacob chuckled, smoke seeping through his teeth. Spaulding took his smoke out of his mouth. She finally gave birth. Jacob's eyes widened. My God, congratulations, sir. Jacob extended his hand. Spaulding shook it as Jacob grabbed his forearm with the other hand, squeezing him. This is wonderful news, boy or girl? Two girls, actually, Spaulding said as the men released each other. What a surprise. This is wonderful news. Thank you, Spaulding said. Jacob winked. One night out won't hurt. Spaulding smiled. No, I can't reckon it will. He'd been longing to go to Fight Club for at least a month. Truthfully, he had lost track of when his last fight was. These days, his focus was on his family in the evening and the butcher shop during the day. He was beginning to forget what it was like to have fun. Fight Club would be just that. Well, I'd best let you get back to business. Say hello to the missus for me, Jacob said while taking a slight bow. See you tonight. Spaulding said, waving goodbye. Jacob left the building, leaving Spaulding to finish his cigarette and continue setting up shop. As the morning progressed, customers came in little by little. Spaulding prepped some of the dried meats that were easy to store and sell over days. Billy would arrive soon with a fresh pig to slice up. The monotonous task of managing a shop, inventory, and cash was soothing for him. He didn't have to think much. People came in, bought goods, and left. That was it. No hidden agendas. He could show his girls what an honest man could do. He could teach them that they could find something of the same caliber when they grew up. Spaulding would be their fatherly example. Billy arrived at the store later in the morning, coming in from the back, as Spaulding had done earlier. He held his medium-sized pig up by the back legs lifting it up onto the butchering table. The animal landed with a thud, tongue dangling out. Where's this from? The Robinsons' farm? Spaulding asked. The Clarks. Robinsons weren't ready to sell, Billy said while reaching for one of the butchering blades on the side of the table. Bodies, Spaulding thought, watching as the blade sliced into the gut of the animal. Blood and intestines poured out of the deceased pig. 
organs. Something he was all too familiar with. As was his business partner, Knox. How did the meeting go with the government representative the other day? Spaulding asked. Billy continued to chop through the animal. The man had an expression of fascination on his face. The flesh. It was the look that Spaulding had seen before in the fleshers. I presume well, Billy said. Have you not talked to Knox? Spaulding shook his head. No, can't say I have. You should talk to Knox, Billy said. Aye, Spaulding agreed, knowing Billy was right. He wasn't even sure why he was asking Billy. The dead animal must have sparked Spaulding's mind. The past few days had been a blissful wonder with his wife and two girls. He didn't want to think about the shady contracts with the government or dead bodies. Spaulding was intimately familiar with the fine details of what Knox and Billy did. After all, it wasn't far off from the body-snatching gig they had done years ago. So, next week to the day, Spaulding said to change the subject. Billy stopped hacking the animal and nodded. Yes, the wedding. Thrilling, Spaulding said. You're going to be a married man. Yes, it worries me. I hope I can be a good husband to Vivian. Eventually, a father. Billy said as he began to chop the corpse again. You'll do well, Spaulding said, bringing his attention back to the front of the store, where a couple had come in a few moments before. They were chatting to each other and checking their sack of coins. Spaulding turned and nodded at the couple. The front doorbell rang again. A man in a long coat, vest, and a bullet belt walked in. The man of the law. Sheriff Jensen, Spaulding said with a nod. Howdy, Mr. Savage, Sheriff Jensen said, nodding back. What can we do for you today? Spaulding asked while wiping his hands on a towel. Sheriff Jensen walked up to the counter, moving past the couple. I'm just making my rounds through the town. It's been awfully quiet in Rowley. That's a good thing, right? Spaulding said, staring at the man. That it is. No action doesn't give me a lot to do, though. I'm no fan of snooping around other people's business. That's respectful, but you are the law, Spaulding said. True that. With that in mind, not to rattle your chain or anything, but I haven't seen you or the other folk from Rutherford Manor at church. No rattle at all. We'll be going to church. We've been a bit busy at the manor, Spaulding said. Busy? Sheriff Jensen asked. My wife finally gave birth to twin girls. Sheriff Jensen bowed. Congratulations on being a father. Thank you. Once things settle a little more with them, we'll be going back to church. We might try something new. There are a couple other churches in town here, Spaulding said. Father Haywood is just on the other side of town. Of course, there is always Father Isaac. Father Isaac has done our family well. I think it's time for a new beginning though, Spaulding said. I tell you, best to see what Father Haywood has to offer. I hear good things about his church. I may check it out myself, Sheriff Jensen said. I'll do just that. I want the right place for the twins, Spaulding said. You're father worthy already, Sheriff Jensen patted the countertop. Spaulding smiled. Sheriff Jensen knew next to nothing about what really went on at Rutherford Manor. His compliment was empty. It was nice to hear. 
Spaulding was riddled with concern about what would happen with the girls as they grew up. He was worried that they'd learn about Spaulding's past, or discover what their great uncle Knox did for work. Still, even a false sense of encouragement was nice. Sheriff Jensen tipped his hat. I'll be carrying on with my day, then. Congratulations once more. Thank you, Sheriff, Spaulding said, inclining with his head. Good day. Sheriff Jensen left the shop, letting Spaulding attend to his customers. They purchased some dried meat and left. Simple. It was just Spaulding and Billy now. He could try and ease his friend's nerves about the wedding. Spaulding knew exactly what would fix Billy's mood. Billy, Spaulding said, watching as Billy shoved guts into the blood-dripping bucket on the ground. Yes, Billy asked. How does Fight Club tonight sound? Billy nodded. Perfect. Then so be it. Just like old times, Spaulding said. He reached into his pants pocket beneath his apron, pulling out his pocket watch to see the time. It was almost noon. Fight Club called to him. The ring was where he could truly be himself. Even here, in the butcher shop, where he strived to be normal, it was unnatural. Spaulding could use a moment of being himself, and so could Billy. They would hit up the ring and be true once more. And that is the end of chapter four and uh, the end of the episode for this week. We will continue the storyline next week with chapters uh, five and six and uh, see what happens to the families at Rutherford Manor. Of course, if you are really into the story and can't wait to find out what happens, you can grab Fire, Pain, and Ruin on Amazon in ebook and print. Uh, share with your friends if you're enjoying this, and I'll catch you next week. Take care.